Hey, it's Stu with Bitcoin and Financial Independence, and going to be a quick episode today. Uh, going to share some thoughts. I've been listening to the What is Money podcast with Robert Breedlove, and he has a series with Jeff Booth, who is the author of The Price of Tomorrow, and that's a book that is on my reading list. I also just picked up a book called Soft War by Jason Lowery. He is in the military. He's part of the Space Force. And it's actually a PhD thesis that has shot to the top of some Amazon charts. Uh, really interesting that people would pay 42 bucks for this PhD thesis. But I've been following his social medias for a while. And there's so many different ideas and takes in the Bitcoin space. It's really interesting to hear them all. So I'm excited to try and bring some insights from some of the books that I'm going to be reading over the next few months. But I wanted to follow up a little bit about my last podcast about automating central banks. And I'm going to keep it pretty short, but this has to do with just Bitcoin, money, and gold in general. Now, we've all heard the saying that time is money. So let's just say for simple, easy math that you earn $50 per hour for the work that you do at your job. And you put that $100 in the bank or in cash, $100 bill, something like that. And in theory, in the current system, you have saved yourself from doing two hours of work in the future. When you save money, you are saving up time that you don't have to spend working in the future. But in the current system, inflation comes. Let's just say that inflation is 7% over the course of the year that you hold this $100 in your bank account. And by the end of the next year, you have $93 of time. So your time that you save, this placeholder of money, is decaying, it's melting, it's falling apart. And so what we're really looking for in Bitcoin and in gold and investing is we're looking for a better battery to save money in. And a lot of people turn to gold as a safe haven asset. And gold, from what I can tell, has actually done a decent job of keeping up with inflation over the last, what, 5,200 years? I'd have to look a little bit closer at it, but from what I understand, it's actually done pretty, pretty okay. But gold has two main flaws. And this is what I'm learning from Jeff Booth and Michael Saylor in those podcasts, but I'm just rehashing it here in a little bit of a different way. Uh, the problem with gold, the main problem with gold, is that it is good at saving money across time, but not across space. So let's talk about this. We're going to work in two dimensions, the times dimension and the space dimension. Gold has proven to be a good store of value for thousands of years, but it's hard to transport. So across space, it's really hard to transport. Uh, if I want to buy something off the internet, I can't send you gold. If I want to go to the store and break off a chunk of gold, again, it's not easy to transact in across space. It's hard to transport. It's hard to spend. It's hard to secure. It can be confiscated. It can be stolen. And we've seen this over the course of history. So this is why we had paper money that was made so that you could transport it more easily. You could fold it up in your pocket. You can say, well, this bill is worth $1, this one is worth 10 this one is worth 20 this one's 50 and 100 And that money, originally, was a debt instrument on gold, like an IOU, and it used to be that money was backed by gold. It was a claim on a certain amount of ounces of gold. But going back to that main problem with gold, it's hard to secure and transport and transact through space. And so what we've seen over history is that it gets centralized by banks and by governments. And, and now that you've solved that security risk of gold, 
and you have this paper money, now you run into another big problem with gold, which is centralization risk. Because then the governments can go ahead and change the rules, like in the 1940s when Franklin Roosevelt actually outlawed owning gold. And I believe at another time, I can't remember if it was FDR or another president, but they devalued the amount of gold you could get for your dollar. So it was a certain amount of ounces and then it dropped to less. So in a way that was printing money. And they did this obviously to fund wars. And we can argue about the merits of that, you know, with World War II and the Holocaust, obviously. I'm not going to go there. I'm just saying this is what they did to fund the war. And in a way, by devaluing, by changing the peg to gold, it was in a way printing money. But it was also a violation of trust that the people had in government. It was essentially theft through monetary debasement. Fast forward to 1971 when Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard, and now paper money is backed by nothing and constantly created, diluted out of thin air. The monetary supply continues to grow as the government spends out of deficits, and they basically issue more debt to pay old debt. And it's accelerated extremely fast ever since 1971 because now there's no holding back other than the debt ceiling, which obviously is just kicking the can down the road, and it keeps getting raised over and over and over. But you can actually go to this website, which I'll put in the show notes. It's called WTF Happened in 1971. Really interesting website, and you'll see some charts that show some of the weird correlations and side effects that are correlated with the depegging of money from gold entirely. So as we mentioned, just to recap, gold is good for saving in across time, not across space. And dollar bills are good across space, but not time, especially when you get centralization that breaks the rules and the previously agreed upon arrangement between the government and the people, and then it completely gets broken. And now we basically have digital money and cash money, which is really great to secure and transact in, but it's, it's horrible at storing over time because it's no longer tied to anything. It's just the amount of money, that $100, becomes a smaller and smaller fraction because the amount of money being made or created out of thin air just keeps growing and growing and growing. So that $100 just keeps shrinking in relation to the rest of the money. Think of it this way. You're a big fish in a little pond, and it starts to rain, and the pond keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, and then maybe the dam breaks, and now the pond is huge, and now it's not a pond, it's a lake. And then to make this analogy not make sense, uh, eventually the sea levels rise, and now that lake is part of the ocean. You are now a small fish in the ocean. That's kind of what's happened with your money, even though you still have the same amount of money. The amount of money out there is continually expanding. Hopefully that makes sense. But this is where Bitcoin comes in because it solves these problems with gold. It has no central control. It is decentralized. It is maintained by nodes distributed across the globe. And anyone and everyone can go get a computer and start validating transactions and maintain the code, basically. It has rules and no rulers. It's completely a choice that you can make. It's an option that you can choose to become a part of, and it's completely inclusive. No one is going to be able to block you from using Bitcoin, necessarily. And because of these rules, but no rulers, the code is going to enforce a hard cap of 21 million coins that cannot be exceeded. And most people would not choose to devalue themselves because it would hurt themselves. So you wouldn't want to do this. But when you have a centralized government, there's reasons to do this. So going back to my weird uh, fish in the pond analogy, 
the Bitcoin pond or lake or whatever it is, whatever body of water we're going to go with, let's just say the Bitcoin lake, it is set, it's 21 million, that's it. And however big the fish is in that pond is however big it is. You're never going to turn into a small fish in the ocean. You're going to stay the same on a relative basis. My 1% of a Bitcoin is always going to have the same ratio out of 21 million Bitcoins possible. It will never be diluted to where my 0.01 Bitcoin is only worth 0.0093 or something like that. And now we have money that can be stored really good across time because it cannot be diluted. And also it can be transported, transacted, and secured across space. So we have fixed it to where we can work on both dimensions, whereas paper money does not work well over time and gold does not work well over space. All right, I'm going to end it there. I really hope that makes sense. I know things probably got kind of weird. I made up that fish in the pond and lake analogy on the fly. So whatever, it is what it is. Hope you get the idea. And also, if you're planning on attending Bitcoin Miami, I'm going to be going to that in May, just general admission. I got my ticket. Um, I'm really excited. I've never been to a conference like this before. So really interested to learn from all the speakers and meet a whole bunch of Bitcoiners in May at Bitcoin Conference in Miami. So if you're going to go there, hit me up and maybe we can grab lunch sometime. If you have any questions or topics you want me to cover on the podcast, feel free to send me a voicemail or an email on my pod page. Go ahead, if you haven't already, and grab 5 or $10 of Bitcoin through Strike or through Swan. Remember that financial independence is doable, and I'll be back with you soon.